The, the thing we've been on, this Better Together, Reaching Out Together, uh, was a sermon that we started last week that's going to be breaking into, it looks like, three parts. Today will be part two. But over the, the coming weeks, we've chosen to focus on two things. One is deepening our sense of community and relationship uh, as a church family. But the second is also reaching, um, is being more intentional and reaching out to the community outside and around us. So being very intentional about it. And we've been in this conversation and we've centered it on uh, the theme better together. And from a scriptural standpoint, God designed us all, all of us, whether it's uh, neutral to us or not, uh, I'm sorry, natural to us or not, or he designed us to be in relationship. And last week we spent uh, our time discussing that we are wired for relationships. And the tragedy is that most of us, and most of you here, believe it or not, um, you may have a lot of acquaintances, uh, but most of us, uh, many times, we don't have anybody who's looking out for our spiritual growth. You say, well, pastor, isn't that what a pastor's job is done? He's hired to look out for our spiritual growth? Yes, as a collective whole, as a shepherd of a group, talking about a flock. But who is, who is there close enough to you? And I've been saying it over and over so that you get in the habit of thinking of it, but if if you're in church and someone says, how are you doing? And you say, fine, but you're not fine. That person knows you well enough that they could truthfully say what? Baloney. I know you better than that. You're not fine. I know there's something wrong. And we need people in our lives like that. Um, we looked at another thing. God created you as an, uh, as an individual to do five things. And those five things were worship, uh, to disciple, uh, to be members, not just card carrying like, you know, you came to church enough, you got a card that you're a member, but to be in vital relationships that makes you part of the membership of the church. And then you're created for ministry. And lastly, the fifth one, mission. And so we, we formed last week's sermon around that last one on mission. Um, and, and part of God's design for you is you're made for mission. And he wants to show his love to you, and he has, just like he wants to do to those who don't know Christ yet. And we call those the sought. Because God is always seeking after them. Many times we refer to people as, that don't know Christ as the lost, even on the video. But I prefer if we consider them the, the sought, because that is more indicative of really the action of going after them. Not, not labeling them as someone who has no hope, but that God is always seeking them, and that's what we're supposed to do. Paul said to the Philippians, You are standing together side by side with one strong purpose, to tell the good news. Our one strong purpose collectively together is to tell the good news. Then the very next verse of the same chapter says this. Paul says, you've been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ. Keyword partner. So we took that word partner and we made it an acronym. So if you were writing it down in notes down the side of the page uh, and spelling it out, um, we use it to describe seven ways you and I can partner together in spreading the good news of the gospel. And so, if you remember, we started with partner, we, we, we started with the word P, and we'll get to that, but, but we, we were doing this so we could look at how do we use our groups, our men's and women's Bible study, our college and career, our youth group, our, our kids groups, those that meet in smaller group settings, and even our seniors group that there's been rumors, there's ones forming. And, and I'm not going to put an age on it because I don't want to get in trouble. So, but some of you might think, I fit in that seniors group. So why do we, how do we use our church family, to reach out, to show people that we care about them, about the love and grace and the goodness of God, not just by age groups, oh, you're this age, so you fit here, not just by gender, you're a female, you go here, but by deeper commonalities. 
about finding out, getting into people's lives that we know enough about them. We say, hey, you know, we got stuff in common. I'd really like to get together. We have stuff we could talk about. Not just the fact that we both are at least seeking the truth of God's word, but, but that God created some characters and some likes and dislikes in us that, that are similar. So how do we partner together to do that? And last week we covered the first two in the word partner. First one, P, pray together. Um, you say, Pastor, how, do we, how are we supposed to pray? Uh, Colossians 3, 4 tells us to pray this way. Pray for us that God will give us an opportunity to tell people his message. So basically we're praying for divine opportunity. We talked about that last week. Praying that God will open people's hearts, that he will create them. And we also said, remember, that they're actually already there. When you pray that, it's not that God creates opportunities. It's just that your eyes, because your heart's willing and says, I'm willing to step into those opportunities, then he starts saying, okay, well, you've been walking right past them. Now I'm going to make you aware of them. And then, so then we also looked at the A in partner, appeal to, in, to common interest. We looked at before you could share the good news or the grace of God with anybody, you have to establish a relationship. And before you can reach anybody, you have to relate to them. You have to find out what you have in common. Now, this isn't like speed dating. We aren't trying to create that kind of atmosphere. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, and this is in the message version, it says, whatever a person is like, I try to find common ground with him. So he will let me tell him about Christ and let Christ save him. And then listen to this. I do this to get the gospel to them and also for the blessing I myself receive when I see them come to Christ. See, sometimes we get ourselves in trouble because we're trying to find common interests and then just become like them or just pass over the fact that they need Christ and just hang out forever with no intention of sharing Christ. That's not what Paul's saying. I try to find commonalities so that they may come to know him, be saved by him, and then I myself am blessed because I, uh, I get to see them saved. And I've said over and over, that's the one thing that will keep you from becoming a shriveled up, dried up, pew-sitting, getting mold on you from sitting in the chair too long, Christian is because when you share your faith, you share the gospel, and people's lives are changed, it charges you up. And so you continue to be refreshed, not only by the renewing of your mind and your study of God's word and your prayer, but because you are impacting other lives. You have a purpose. You are doing something more than just sucking wind and taking up space. Right? So you pray together, you know, and, and, and we pick, this is where we pick up uh, on our second part of reaching out together. So you pray together, you appeal to common interest, and then third, where we're picking up here, the letter R, letter R, you reach out in love. Why? Why reach out in love? Because you want to have the right motive when you reach out to your neighbors and friends. You don't want to do it for any selfish reasons. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. That means that you have the motivation that they are like you. They are created. God created them. He loves them. He wants them to be saved. He saved you so we would want to continue that and others come to know him. You know the old cliche, people don't care how much you know unless... Right, people don't know how much you care or don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Our motivation for our outreach should be love. Why are we doing this? I mean, why are we trying to reach out to our community? And I've told you already about our Rural Compassion Initiative where we're trying to reach out and do things for the schools and we're, we're still on schedule to do Thanksgiving dinner for the fire department and do something for the police. And, and why are we doing all this? I mean, why would we try to meet needs for uh, widows and orphans and those type of things? Because we, we have enough people that it's hard enough now to do two services and all that. Why wouldn't we just 
try to get things going a little better for those who are here and say, okay, we're good. We don't need to add anymore. We don't need to do anything. You know, why would we? It takes resources. I mean, when we start this building project so that we can add more to our numbers, so we can bring more people in, pack lives, that means we're all going to have to commit to stretching ourselves and let the Holy Spirit deal with our, our, our pocketbooks, which is a hard place, right? And, and say, believe that God can, can use us in mighty ways through, through sacrificial giving to see more souls brought to Christ. Why don't we just focus on making our own loving church warmer and stronger? Why in the world would we attempt to spend our resources on the community around us? I mean, we don't do it out of guilt. We don't do it out of pressure or out of feeling obligated. We don't do it to make God like us because he already loves us. Uh, we don't do it because we think we're better than everybody else because we're not. We do it for three reasons. Here's the first one. We reach out first because we have the greatest news in the world to share. If I had the cure for cancer, I'd be shouting it in the streets. If I had the cure for the Ebola virus, I'd be uh, telling everybody in the world about it. I'd be on Facebook blasting. I'd be sharing that. But I've got something, uh, and the answer that I've got uh, for people's attorney is going to last beyond what the cure for cancer or the cure for Ebola virus is going to last. It's going to be eternal. I have the answer to people's purpose in life in the here and now, and the answer to that purpose in the here and now is going to last and give them hope for eternity. I mean, that's the good news. The good news that there's actually a God in heaven that created everything you see, and all the things that you see are a lot of things and things that you can't see God was big enough to do that. He's big enough to create me, create you, and have personal relationships for the, with us. So we know he's big enough to reach others through his gospel. And that big God made a big promise. He said that I could have a relationship with him. But that relationship was not dependent on my ability to memorize doctrinal statements. And it wasn't dependent on the fact of how many times I read my Bible in a week. It's not the quantity, but the quality of the time we spend with him. And it's, and it's not dependent on my ability to keep all the religious creeds, but it was dependent on him. It was totally dependent on what he was willing to do for me. And I have, to, I have to trust him with my past, my present, my future. And I don't know about you, but that good news, it's good news to me to know that I'm not an accident, that I was made by God with a plan and a purpose. That he made me not for uh, 75, 80, 90 years to live and die and decay and be no more. But he made me forever. He wanted me to live with him forever in eternity. He wanted me to give my life a purpose here on earth. And he wants me to know him so I can live with him forever. And he sent Jesus to earth so I could know that God, know what God was like. And know his character and nature. And, it, and he also, uh, he allowed Jesus to die in my place so my sins could be forgiven and my slate could be wiped clean. So that I could have purpose and in the present and in the eternal home and future in heaven with him. And that is good news to me, is it not to you? I don't know why we're so intimidated by it. Why we like to go around ashamed about the good news, the message, like we're spreading rabies or something. I mean, understand that when we started this message, and I didn't do this in the second, I did the first, I, I felt like I need to say, when I mention some of these things, you're going to go into task mode. Oh, Pastor CJ's giving me tasks to do. The word of God, tasks to do. And it's not. Building these relationships, Paul said it would also benefit you. The, the thing is, is you're not doing a task 
relationships, deep relationships, can be fulfilling, rewarding, and make your life fuller. It's not a selfish, it's not a selfish thing, and it's not also a one-sided thing. It's for both. We've got good news. The second reach, reason I reach out and I want us to reach out is because we have hearts of gratitude. This is the month of, of Thanksgiving, and having hearts of gratitude make a difference. And look, I could preach all day on where I would be if I wouldn't have been for the if it wouldn't have been for the grace of God. But you know what? That's your story too. We've all got that story. And when I reach out in love, my motivation for doing so is that I am meek, I am grateful to God for where His grace has brought me. That I want other people to know that grace and that that same power that God brought into my life can go into their life. And I also know that God's desire is to be in relationship with them. Because I know that's what God wants. Out of grateful hearts, I want to do what He wants. And I want us to join together in doing that together. My motivation is gratitude. The third reason why we reach out is the Bible says that God is love. When God comes into your life, you start loving people. And if you, if you say you're a Christ follower and you don't love people, I would question the validity of your relationship with God. You know, we, we could say don't judge, but this is one of the areas where it's not a judgment call. It's just fact. If you, if you prove to others and you even stay with the words you say that you love God, but then you don't love people, then I would question whether you're really uh, a Christ follower. By the scripture standpoint, not mine. Because God didn't make anyone he doesn't love. And he wants us to, to, to be like him. And so when we don't love others, we can't be Christ-like, which is the very definition of Christian. 1 John tells us in verse 4 that God is love. You can't have somebody as big as God come into your life and not change you. I'm still battling with the old me. Uh, selfishness and all the pride and things that go on, they're not at the place that... that uh, they were when I first met Jesus. I mentioned the first service. Last night we had a fireside chat with uh, the Price's host at the house for married couples. And, and let me challenge you, if your spouse doesn't come to church, don't think you can't come to the married couples things. That's exactly what you need to do more than any of us. Because you need to be around those who can encourage you and pray for you, as we mentioned before. Pray that whatever is holding your spouse back from being a part of the body of Christ, whether it's a relationship with Christ to begin with or just a resistance to uh, what they know of church, that is a place you need to be with that support. And let me tell you something else on this thing about battling with the old me. You know, um, if anyone that was at the fireside chat left there and, and thought for a second that I didn't take from the moment I got in my van and left to drive home, that I wasn't going over everything I had said that night and, and wondering if everything I said was what a pastor should say and all that. Um, and some of those moments where I'm like, ugh, can't believe I said that. Um, or you thought, man, uh, our pastor isn't too polished. Man, some of the jokes he told our stories, you know, is, is like um, he needs to grow up a little. Well, hey, you know what? That's what we all need to be doing is because we aren't where we want to be. We're trying to get there. But listen, the fact that we think about that and mill over it. Why? Because I'm trying to be the cool kid in the crowd? No, no. I'm trying to be some other pastor or be like, no. It's because I care enough about those around me that I'm always thinking, is there anything I'm doing that could turn people away from Christ or could give them the wrong idea about what a Christian should be? Am I emulating Christ in the best way possible and still just being who God created me to be? 
My wife knows my relationship with Christ better than anybody. She knows my failures. She, knows, she sees it firsthand every day. And so I have a comfort with her that sometimes I let loose a little bit and I'm not worried about her thinking, good grief, God, just would you take him home now? Let me collect the insurance and, and move on. This guy's a loser. No, I mean, you know, uh, the thing is, though, um, if I'm there and, and Danny, you know, I, I'm careful about what Danny sees in me because um, if I'm too comfortable and not watch what I'm doing, I could lead Danny to be less Christ-like because I want to make sure, not that I'm trying to hide from him the bad. I've got accountability partners that we talked about to help me deal with things I need to deal with, but I want to put my best foot forward to show him Christ that he'd continue to grow. He already knows Christ, but I want us to continue to mature. I don't want, to, I don't want us, us to stay baby Christians or, or teen Christians or whatever. I want us to keep growing and maturing. First John tells us in verse 4 that God is love, as we mentioned, and so we have to realize that um, sometimes people will come into the church that are still battling with all them and selfishness and all the pride and things that go on. And they're not at, at the place that they were when, uh, you know, I'm not at the place where I am when I first met Jesus, and, but they're at that place. And God has tempered me. He's worked on me. He's, uh, I'm in process. I'm, I'm in progress. I'm under construction. Uh, again, I'm not where I was, but, but we have to realize that some people are back where we were when we first started. Paul said to the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians, because we love you, we were happy to not only share God's good news with you, but even our own lives. Part of the gospel is not just the canonized, inspired word of God. Yes, that's the gospel. That's, that'll never change. But God planned for it to perpetuate by lives being changed and their testimonies being shared. That's why when he healed a, a blind man or he healed a cripple, you know, he's like, go and tell others what he did. And they, they ran off telling people, I've been healed. It, it's part of the gospel. You know, um, anybody can get up and preach you a message. Anyone can get up and declare heaven and hell and Jesus in, the, in, in, in that way from the pulpit. But Paul said... We didn't just come to give you a message. We came and gave you our lives. And Paul says, if you're motivated by, motivated by love and your outreach is motivated by love, you're not just passing out tracts. You're giving people your lives. And that was always uncomfortable for me in youth group. When they give you tracts, you go hand them out. And you, you know, it would always end up, if, if you were a little bit shy or bashful, it was like, well, I just slid on that counter and somebody's going to come find it. And they're going to read it. And they're going, well, maybe, you know. But we were always so scared to go firsthand. What about that rejection? And hand it somebody. But we're, we're in service to those who don't know Christ yet. Um, you're giving them space in your life. You're in a relationship with them. And if you don't um, do that, it's really not love. Here's the problem. Most people today who don't know Christ, those that haven't stepped across the line of faith... They have this expectation that Christians reach out in judgment, not love. You know that to be true. You see it in the media. You see it in all the headlines now. That's an expectation they have, that we reach out in judgment, not love. The perception that Christians think that they're better than everybody else, and they've got all the answers, and they're the moral police with high standards of living, and, and they look down on their nose at everyone else that doesn't live up to their moral codes. And that's the common um, conception that people have about, uh, about us because too many of us are known for what we are against and not what we're for. It's the very thing that's frustrating about the, the presidential debates and 
and political things now is because they spend more time about slandering their opponent and saying what they don't do right, and they don't get enough to what they're going to do about things in a clear way for the common man to understand. And you're saying, I really just want to know who's going to do the right thing. I hear about everybody doing the wrong thing. Who's going to do the right thing? And that's the kind of thing that that some of the non-believers are getting from us. Okay, I've heard enough about what I don't do right. But you see, I'm here for a reason. Because I set out sometimes thinking I might do the right thing, and I always end up back in my mess. And Paul said, why do I always do the things I shouldn't do, and I can't seem to do the things I should? You know, it's everybody's struggle. We're, we're the same. It's just they need us to say, hey, I get it. You're, you're living in sin. Your relationship with that person is, is abomination to God, or you're, you're living Okay, well, that's a given. We know that. It's all over the news, all right? Where do we start from here? Let me show you what's happened in my life. Let me tell you the positive things that God has done to me. Let me show you the good news. We ought, to, we ought to be known that we're for people coming into relationship with Christ. We're not better than anyone else. And here's the reality. You, you want to know what? I'm going to help you. If you can grasp this and, and really make this your mantra about, about who you are as a Christian... And, and this is what people get from you who are non-believers. You will begin to win people for Christ. We're one beggar telling another beggar that where they can find bread. Simple as that. I'm one beggar telling another beggar where they can find bread. I'm not better than anyone else. I'm, I'm a starving soul that stumbled upon a loaf for my spiritual man. And I want to share it with someone else that, that I know is starving as well. And people expect us to reach out in judgment, but it's time the church reaches out in love. I mean, even non-believers are finding this very uh, gratifying and it it touches their hearts to put these videos on YouTube where they've gone out and tried to give to people who are wealthier and they just look like, man, I don't need your, I've got money, you know, and and they do that. And then they go and give something to a homeless guy. And the first thing that homeless guy does is turn and give it to another homeless person and share. And they're like, wow, look at that. One beggar telling another beggar where they can find bread. It's not rocket science. It's how Christ wanted us to behave all along. I'm not better than anyone else. I'm a starving soul that stumbled upon a loaf for my spiritual man. And I want to share it with someone else that I know is starving as well. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, It's not my business to judge those who are not a part of the church. It's not my business. It's pretty strong language, isn't it? How would you like it if I respond to that when you start to tell me some pastor? I think we really need to, hey, it's none of your business. Now, that, that would feel good to me, not to you. And, and it might be tempting, but, but that's pretty strong words. Paul's saying it's not my business to judge those who are not part of the church. When my kids messed up in the neighborhood, I got on my kids. When the neighbor kids mess up in the neighborhood, I don't get on to their kids. It's their responsibility. It's not mine. But when someone in my family messes up, it's my responsibility. When someone in my family in this church gets off track spiritually, it's my job because they're in the family. And we are in relationship to say, hey, come on, I love you. Let's get back on track. We are the family of God. And so, yes, we are his children. And it is our responsibility to keep each other on track. Outside of the church, it's our job to show the love of Christ and, and show them the good news, tell them the good news. Let me give you a little principle to use. Never expect an unbeliever to act like a believer unless they're a believer. Never expect an unbeliever to act like a believer unless they're a believer. So just simplify that. Don't expect unbelievers to act like believers. 
as a, as a pastor, I have people who will come up to me in the public and say, don't you, uh, you know, so-and-so uh, that goes to your church, um, don't they go to your church? Yeah, well, you should have seen them. You should have seen what they're doing. And do you really want someone like that representing New Song Church? And, you know, I heard Pastor Brian use this example, and I thought about it, and I was like, I thought about how many times that had happened, and it's usually not somebody in the church. It's somebody outside that knows somebody and says, if you knew. And I, I, I would respond just like Pastor Brian does, is, hey, they're, they're a baby Christian. They're one of our babies. Give them some space. Let them learn. They're growing. You're you're, you're critiquing the life of one of our spiritual babies. And and so there's a lot of people who go to church here who are not going to be followers of Christ yet, I hope. I hope we're not always stacking the deck with just believers in in our church services. And they're, they're coming into a community where they may not know how to relate and they aren't quite doing things the way we do. And they're in relationship with us, but they haven't started a relationship with Jesus. And we have, to, we, have, um, we have to have the audacity to believe what Jesus said when he said, they will know your mind by your love for one another. And we believe that community is the greatest defense of the Christian faith. See, if we can get in relationship and give people time to get in relationship with us, uh, through that relationship, they will come to a relationship with Jesus Christ if our relationship with Christ is real. Because merely by them coming into close relationship with us, the power of the gospel, not only by us sharing the spoken word of the gospel, but by the, go- the testimony of our lives and what the gospel did to it, will impact them in a way that they'll desire that and want that. You know, when people may ask us that question of, you know, so-and-so, uh, you know, see how they're acting outside church? We can turn that question back to them and say, do you go to church? And if they say yes, ask them, does everybody in your church act right all the time? And if they say yes, then, then well, I would say that they've got a very inward-focused church. You need an outreach-focused church. If everybody's acting right all the time in their church, then they, they aren't reaching out. If everybody in your church knows how to toe the line, then you've got a bless-me club. You need some babies, you need some seekers, and some folks that don't know how to act I'm proud when we have those because that means we've got work to do. God has trusted us enough to put somebody in our midst that needs some work. And you know, I'm sometimes maybe a little too sheepish about pushing y'all to get involved with those. You know, um, I, it's awesome when folks step in and I say, hey, there's a certain person that needs a ride to church. Um, Isaac needed one this morning and Isaac's still a growing new baby Christian and someone jumped on the chance to go get him. Uh, and he was a little further distance off than normal, that warms my heart when I see that it's not just me, there's others who believe those little acts like that are important. There is much part of the discipleship uh, process as if you spend an evening reading God's word to them because you got them where they could interact with the body, they could hear the testimonies of believers, and through hearing the gospel preached and seeing the lives of believers, they're continually being changed. You know, guess who hung around Jesus? Folks that didn't know how to act. Because the religious crowd wanted everyone to know how to toe the line, and that's what they got. But Jesus hung around the people who didn't know how to act, and thank God for a place that allows room for people to discover Jesus in relationship. This is not a perfect place. Please do not bring that mindset into New Song Church. We have enough to deal with with just our spiritual growth. We don't need people adding to it to try to fool people and make them think that there's perfect people in this church. We did, the church has done that for decades, and they just fooled people saying, hey, come to this church. They're not hypocrites. Come to this church. They aren't gossipers. And they're lying because they can't guarantee that somebody's not going to be tempted in that and fail. 
and, and the body is there to help them get over that. But don't lie to an unbeliever saying, or a person that's been hurt in another church, say, come here, that's not going to happen to you here. Tell them, say, I'm sorry that happened. You've got to understand, you're stepping in with a bunch of broken people who are confronting some spiritual things in life, and that brings out more bad behavior sometimes until we get through it. Sometimes we get a little bit rebellious and fight that challenge to change. And it doesn't bring out the pretty side of us sometimes. Tell them, say, but the thing is, is you will walk, you will do the same thing, we'll walk together, we'll get through it together, and we are, we are going for the goal of being in heaven and celebrating with Christ for eternity with perfected bodies and no more sin, no more sorrows. And that's where we'll get to be perfect, okay? We also don't contone sin, look the other way, and let them stay spiritual babies. We want to pull them up, keep them helping, but it's a matter of whether your attitude is to crush them with the fact that they're messing up or help them find the way to get out of it. Let me give you a little tool that you can use also. It can be meaningful, uh, a meaningful relationship tool. And uh, whether you write this down or remember it for later, write down. Just ask, how can I pray for you? And I'm not just talking about believers. I was trying to think about this to think if I ever had been turned down, and I had been a couple times. I can think of a couple times. But most time, even unbelievers and people even, I've asked um, Jen, there's been, we've had people who said, I'm an atheist, but they would still let me pray for them. And I think, you may not really be an atheist if you're letting me pray for you. Because either you're like just thinking of it as entertaining some loony, or you're actually saying, hey, I'll give it a chance. I mean, if anything, they get me out of this mess. We are a church, and the heart of this church is to reach out. And it's going to stay that way. We've got to keep in mind, church, that on this journey, this isn't, this isn't easy, but it's not a task. It's a matter of your life needs what we're talking about, just like those outside the church need it. And some of you will never probably admit right now at where you're at in, in, in your stage of Christian walk, that you go home and at times, even if you're married and have a spouse, that you feel very lonely. I want you to just, I want to stop. This is this has turned a little different than first service. I'm just going to tell you. I just want you to stop and think about that. Can you honestly tell yourself you're never lonely? You know, it depends on how you, how honest you are about what lonely means. I mean, Jen and I are best friends, partners in life, and have, have a good time. There's sometimes, though, that I really need a man of God. I've got my dad close by, you know. But there's been times in my life where I'm not close to my dad or I've not been there and, and I just need this solid man of God that I could sit face to face with who wasn't Jesus because Jesus was always fully God, fully man, but someone who just like me, I've never been sinless. And just help me understand how to make it through something. Or just sit with me and just reflect on where I'm heading, where I've been. We all get lonely, and these things that we're talking about are not just about reaching out, although that was what, where we headed for today. But you got to understand is if you don't get this, it's not just about whether you care enough to see other people come to Christ because of you. It's also whether you continue to grow or ever grow in your relationship with Christ. He designed you to not be lonely. He designed you to not be lonely. Sin entering the world caused loneliness. Caused a separation from God, which is the very first onset of loneliness. And once there's loneliness between you and God, it has spread into every other relationship in your life. I want us to go ahead and bow our heads and just take a moment here.
with every bit head bowed and eye closed, if there's someone here you're saying, Pastor CJ, I need a relationship with Christ. I don't have one right now. I want something vibrant. I want it alive. I want to know that he is my king, my Lord, my savior. I want to know that he is steering my life. And it's not just up to me. I'm lonely for a real relationship with Christ. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Man, man. If you raise your hand, I want you to pray with me this prayer right now. And listen, this isn't a, again, I say this many times, it's not the repeating the prayer that makes you a believer. I, I'm helping you with words that sometimes are difficult. If you have your own words, you don't have to pray my, the words I'm saying. But the scripture says that when you believe in your heart, that you've confessed your sins, you're, uh, you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you are saved. And so this prayer is just simply helping you express that from your heart. You, you need to mean it from your heart. Pray this with me. Dear Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my sin. Be Lord of my life. Help me to serve you in every way I can. In Jesus' name, amen. Believers, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, use me. Lord, I need to be active. And I need to be in deep relationship with not only you, but everyone you place around me. Help me, Lord. Use me, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everyone can look up here. I'm excited for what God is doing. Don't let these messages, you know, when we finally get into, um, in, in the future, we get into small groups in the homes that are not based just around youth, college career. We'll always have those ministries. Um, I want us to be able to take these messages, whatever God leads in our Sundays, and, and take deeper dives and more conversation around them in those small groups that will help us all not only grasp something in the service, but then be able to help sort it out in the small group setting that will let us apply it. If the Lord thinks it's important enough for us to spend a few hours on Sunday morning to, to hear something from his word, I, I think he wants us to apply it. And so um, be praying as we move forward that God helps us to, to, to flush out those who, who need to be small group leaders for those who need to get involved. And, um, and we'll continue that journey together.